I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And you talk about dignity. Art is a perfect tool for measuring freedom. The artist, by definition, is free of demands for the common understanding of usefulness. The aesthetic moment is unique. One is freed, very briefly, from any constraints of the workaday world while in the aesthetic moment. The artist is the creator who illustrates an expression or impression all his or her own. There are good reasons why the Nazis so tightly controlled art. What they called degenerate art upset their rigidly demanded and defined worldview. Art is freedom, the antithesis of subservience to authoritarians. Art is not there to soothe. By definition, it often upsets and challenges the viewer with uncomfortable pictures. Yet, surprisingly, in a city known for its liberal politics and culture, the San Francisco Board of Education recently uh, voted to basically erase uncomfortable history. They are going to spend about $600,000 to cover up a large mural in George Washington High School painted by artist Viktor Arnatov, a Russian immigrant, perhaps the most important muralist of the Bay Area during the Depression. It has been on the wall since 1936, and board president Stephen Cook and VP Mark Sanchez sum it up in a letter they wrote to the New York Times titled, Why a School School Mural Must Come Down. They ask, should an immovable public school located piece of art that for 80 years has traumatized students be allowed to remain? Imagine that, art daring to show the reality of slavery and genocide of Native Americans. But I guess it made some kids uncomfortable. It seems some in positions of authority insist that art must only soothe and never challenge the viewer. Well, here to explain this bizarre, little-noticed, yet historically important cover-up of disquieting art is David Bacon. David, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. It's my pleasure to be with you, Bert. David Bacon is a Bay Area writer and photographer, and he is known for... Uh, socially important photographs that are art and they do sometimes upset people, I'm sure. They're kind of social justice-oriented photographs. He's also a former union organizer. His latest book is In the Fields of the North uh, uh, by the University of California Press, and it's also in Spanish. The article he wrote on this topic is titled The Hidden History of the Arnatov Mural. All right. Well, again, thanks for being with us. What is this mural? What does it show? And what is the controversy? Well, the mural is called The Life of George Washington. And of course, the high school is called George Washington High School. So when the high school was built, um, Victor Arnotov was hired by the Work Progress Administration um, to paint a mural um, inside the high school that would show the life of Washington. 
And that's what he did. Um, but, you know, you have to sort of think about the political climate in the context of the mid-1930s, um, because it was a period of, um, I guess you'd say, radical upsurge in the politics, not right. just of the Bay Area and California, all but over. all over the country, after all. Absolutely. Um, it was right in the middle of the Depression. Um, Roosevelt had just been elected in 36 with a astounding, you know, majority vote. Um, and the Work Progress Administration was set up to provide, um, in part, in this case, um, employment to artists. So Victor Arnatov was, um, in a sense, he was working for the federal government, but under a unique program that really has never had a, a parallel um, since then. Yeah. And so when he painted the mural, he tried to tell the truth about George Washington. And that truth includes the fact that Washington was a slave owner himself, had a plantation in Virginia, Mount Vernon, and also that the colonization of the United States was taking place at enormous cost to the indigenous people um, who were the inhabitants of, of this land before the colonists um, came over from Europe. And so what he shows in the mural is um, there are a couple of panels in which he shows, for instance, um, slaves that are working in the fields. There's one <clears throat> sort of scene in which there's a kind of uh, antebellum mansion in the background with a white woman with her kind of fancy crinoline dress with a little girl holding a little girl by the hand out in front of it. And then in front of them are the slaves who are actually doing the work on that plantation. Um, there's another scene about slaves that shows them um, working in the fields, and then in front of them are slaves who are um, loading a cart with bales of cotton. And standing beside the slaves are these two colonial merchants in their three-cornered hats and their kind of fancy clothes. Um, and it's very clear that they are the owners of those slaves and also the ones who are profiting by the labor um, of them. So that's one part of it. In another part of it, he shows um, Native people. So and, and they appear in a number of different ways. In one corner of, the, <clears throat> of this panel, there is a, um, a, a kind of a scene in which you have the soldiers of the colonial army, the one that, General, that George Washington was the head of, the general of, and there are Native people, indigenous people, fighting against the colonial army. Well, that is historical truth. That is true, um, because Native people, by and large, did take the side of the British in the Revolutionary War because the settlers had been massacring them yeah. since they landed in Jamestown. Um, so... That um, part of the mural tells the truth there. Then um, there is a scene in which there is a, a dead Native person lying on the ground, and um, to the left of this person is George Washington himself pointing westward. And then there are a number of colonists who he's obviously encouraging to move westward, in other words, to colonize new land. And um, there's... Beside them, there is a picture of 
a surveyor, and George Washington was himself a surveyor, and so the surveyor has this instrument, in other words, kind of measuring the new land that is about to be colonized, and um, right underneath the figure of the surveyor are um, two seated figures, um, a colonist and a native person in um, feathered, you know, um, dress mm-hmm. that are smoking a peace pipe right next to the dead Indian, or the, you know, what is being called, especially in this controversy, the dead Indian. Right. And the message of this particular scene is that um, while the settlers are smoking peace pipes with the native people, um, the people themselves are being murdered. Mm. And that is also historical truth. And then finally, above them, are two native warriors who are dressed in their war um, war dress um, with guns, who are obviously ready to go out and um, defend themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, this was a controversial part of the mural when it was painted, because it contradicted kind of like, how do you want to put it, the accepted myth, mythology mm-hmm. of... George Washington and the American Revolution that was taught in schools at that time. And I have to say, you know, when I went to um, school, junior high school and high school at the end of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s, history was still taught that way. Yes. In other words, it did not tell the truth as it um, is shown in this mural. And Arnatov himself, as a muralist and as an artist, um, was reacting against this kind of phony version of history that was sort of the official one that included um, previous murals. There was a World's Fair in San Francisco Uh in 1915 that had a mural, um, and in this mural, Native people are shown as sort of defeated people um, and that they are defeated by the triumphant progress of civilization over savagery. So here is Arnatov, who is painting his mural um, in reaction to that. So that's what's in the mural. Very good description. Boy, it's too bad. You know, I mean, we couldn't show it on radio, but that's you really I know. <laughs> painted a picture quite quite thoroughly, I must say. And so this that er, so much to talk about here. That that earlier uh, uh, mural. Uh, in 1915. That was part of something apparently called the Pan-American Exposition. What was that exposition all about? Well, um, remember, 1915 was right before World War Two. World War One. So, uh, World War One. I'm sorry. That's right. And it was sort of at the height of the colonial empires of the world. You know, mm. the European countries had just divided up Africa. The sure. U.S. had claimed Latin America. Um, and so the Pan American Exposition was a sort of a show put on and paid for by the wealthy families of San Francisco and California um, to show that this had brought civilization and progress um, to the Americas. It was kind of a um, saying, you know, we are, you know, the we are the bringers of civilization to the world, right. and so. So at any rate, that's what that's what it was. It was kind of like a World's Fair, but a very um, politicized. I want to put it. You, you sort of have to understand the the openness of certain ideas in that period. Um, I have a friend, Abraham Ignacio, who did a oh. um, who just recently published a book 
of cartoons that were published in magazines during that era mm, um, that show um, the native people of um, what's now the United States, that show the people of conquered countries like the Philippines, for instance, or Central America, as being sort of unruly babies with these very kind of racist caricatures right. with thick lips. And, and then that. you have the white people from Europe being shown as sort of like the benevolent masters who are um, bringing civilization to these um, benighted um, countries that they are colonizing. So this is kind of a very open form of racism that, yes. at least until um, President Trump got elected, um, we didn't really see that much of here in this country. <laughs> Yeah, or at least it became very unpopular to be that open about it uh, after the civil rights movement, especially in the 60s. But it was very open in um, that earlier period, 1915, in that exposition. Yeah. And so Arnatov's mural is also reacting against that. Uh-huh. You know, the, the way that he shows the Native people shows them as being figures of a lot of dignity. They're very beautifully painted figures. The... Um, you know the white people in the colony and the colonists—they're not made into ugly caricatures. Right. They are also sort of shown with with historical accuracy. But he is he is trying to sort of like tell a human story, um, as well as kind of to tell historical truth here. Uh, historical truth—it's so. <laughs> there are powers that don't want the historical truth. I mean. You're of an age like me where I'm, I thought for sure we'd learn the lessons of Vietnam, but the truth has been covered up. We don't want to see the real truth. So guess what? We do it again and again and again, and a few more people die and lose limbs. Uh, so who, who, who was Victor Arnatov? What did he say about the purpose of art, do you think? Well, Victor Arnatov was a communist, so... He um, and he was a um, a member of a group of artists um, like him. Um, many of them were immigrants from Russia, as he was. Um, many of them were communists, and they um, were also um, students of a sort of a school of muralism that developed in Mexico. Diego Rivera, who was right. a famous uh, Mexican muralist. Um, sort of pioneered, he and, and two others in Mexico City, um, Orozco and Siqueiros, um, they pioneered the use of murals as a way of um, showing historical truth, of, of educating working people, especially, um, through kind of trying to, to p- depict historical truth and social reality um, in murals. Um, and then um, Rivera especially, um, came to the United States um, both to paint here, um, he had some commissions, and also to encourage artists in the United States to um, to do likewise. Now, Rivera himself was a, a pretty controversial guy, um, at least controversial oh, yeah. to those people that hired him. He painted yes. a mural, for instance, for the Rockefeller. Oh, I love that in story. In New York City. Yes. That was, um, that, that after it was done, the Rockefeller family objected to it, and they had it painted over. And the objection was because he had included in his mural the figures of um, Karl Marx and um, Vladimir Lenin. Um, so 
Um, you know, this, this whole business of, of painting over politically unpopular murals has some precedent to it, including from Rivera. So, you know, Arnatov had gone to Mexico City, and he had studied um, with Rivera, and Rivera came to San Francisco and sort of brought around him a group of um, artists like Arnatov. Another one was a guy named Anton Refugier, and there were others. Um, and also, um, he had student assistants, uh, a woman who became a very famous printmaker, Emily Packard, um, was a model for Rivera and then studied with him in San Francisco here, too. And so um, they believed, that all of them, that you could not separate art from reality, hmm. that art was either going to serve the interests of um, people with money and power, or it was going to serve the interests of people who were kind of under the thumb of those with the power and sort of help them in their struggle to, um, to change the world. And so, you know, they thought, they said, well, you know, you have to take a side. And I think that, that yeah. I'm personally speaking, as a yes. photographer, I think this is true also. I believe the same thing. Um, so um, Arnatov um, included these scenes about George Washington in the mural because he believed that the purpose of the mural was to fight against racism and to fight against class exploitation, and that it was his responsibility as a political activist and as a communist to to do this, that, that the mural itself was part of something larger, which was this struggle by um, working people for um, justice, for justice yeah. and, and by people who had been um, you know, hurt by racism and, and colonialism um, to get some kind of justice as well. Um, remember, San Francisco had had a general strike uh, yes. just two years before the mural was painted. Um, so the whole city and the whole state, in fact, the whole country, was in an uproar. And the other thing that, that is really worthy of, of noting here is that, you know, if, um, if Arnatov had wanted to paint that mural in 1915... Um, he would never have been able to do that because in 1915, the only money that was available for supporting artists and for paying for the um, works of art was coming from those families who had money. In other words, those people who he was kind of painting his mural against. So they would never have funded him. Um, but because of what happened with the New Deal yes. and Roosevelt, and this big upsurge in the 30s, um, where the federal government, for this very brief period of a few years, yeah. um, became a source of funding for artists like Arnatov. He was able to paint a mural without having to worry about the fact that some Rockefeller or some Crocker was going to come along and tell him that you know what he was saying was politically unacceptable and to paint it over. Um, so the mural got painted. Um, but... Um, that kind of art was um, always um, under attack, really. Huh. You know, the WPA only lasted for a while. Yes. The arts projects, like the Federal Theater Project, yes. um, were uh, sort of attacked as soon as they got going. Um, and so when the Cold War started after World War II, um, those projects um, were not only attacked, um, but the organizations, there was a an artist organization, the Arnatov 
um, belonged to that was put on the Attorney General's list of subversive organizations. He was called up before the House Un-American Activities Committee. Um, They tried to get him fired from his job teaching art at Stanford University. Mm. So, um, you know, the times changed very, very radically with the Cold War in the 1950s and all the McCarthy hysteria. Remember, you know, that was the era when um, the federal government sent, you know, 10 screenwriters um, to prison. The Hollywood, you know, 10 and other people were blacklisted for many, many years um, in the industry and could not work um, under their own names. So this affected, you know, photographers, it affected muralists and artists, it affected screenwriters. Um, This period of kind of like um, trying to stop the idea that art, might have some kind of social purpose to it that would put it on the side of working people um, rather than on the side of simply, you know, those you know people sure. in families and institutions with a lot of money. Yeah, the, it used to be the churches, and then uh, it became the uh, very, very wealthy people. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about the role of art in keeping democracy alive and, and uh, you know, allowing for freedom and being real freedom, exemplifying freedom. In the case of uh, San Francisco Board of Education covering up a mural that was upsetting, that, that did not exactly soothe. And I am, I am reminded of, uh, and I wanted to recommend a couple of great movies about what we're talking about here. And, well, the, the, it's under the WPA and public art. Franklin Roosevelt and his people, his uh, brain trust, recognized the importance of public art, of the public being able to access art. Part of a big part of his uh, works project uh, administration was post office murals, which is a fascinating thing. These big murals that artists, unemployed artists in the Depression, were commissioned to paint, showing the the history of the area around them so that everybody who went to a post office which was largely the only contact people had at the time with the federal government they could they could see that and that was the art there and it was a wonderful thing and then uh one of the movies is the cradle will rock uh oh yeah starring and directed by tim robbins hank azaria was in it reuben blades john and joan cusack and that theater production was shut down by politics. And another film, Frida, the character of Diego Rivera, to whom we've referred, is featured, uh, who <laughs> it shows uh, Rockefeller, I forget which Rockefeller, uh, might have been Nelson for that matter, I don't know. I think it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. smashing the, uh, the artwork that he had done. Art is so powerful. It's true. And, and to allow the artist to have that space to make the art and to put it before the public and not just before the rich people was a pretty big deal. And I also wanted to say, you know, okay, Arnatov was a communist, which back then was really not that big of a deal. I mean, people were in desperate, desperate financial shape. Banks were kicking people out of their homes, foreclosing on farms. A lot of people, a lot of good Americans were communists at the time. Nobody knew about, you know, Stalinism and the, and the terrible excesses that he had. He, I, you know, people were Marxists, not Stalinists, that's for sure. And they were still uh, good Americans. So moving forward here, so this was painted 80-some years ago. Huh? How did we get here? Why, why all the hubbub all of a sudden? Well, that's a really uh, that's a really good question, and it's not the first time that there has been um, controversy uh, about the murals. 
And I think it has to do with kind of what what the Cold War did to us. So, you know, the McCarthyite hysteria in the Cold War of the 1950s, it sort of removed from our public conversation and our public consciousness an understanding of things like what we were just talking about, you know, what the purpose of art is, what the potential of art can be in terms of um, helping to defend the interests and needs of working people, of um, people of color, of um, people who are sort of being oppressed by our system here. And um, so because of, you know, because of kind of like getting cut off from our own history, um, when students would look at the mural, um, in some ways they didn't really understand sometimes what they were seeing. And so when they saw these images of black people as slaves, for instance, they felt that this was not showing um, African-American people in a, um, not just a favorable light, but as in terms of their potential, in terms of people's potential to kind of become everything that they could be, you know, doctors, scientists, educated people, poets, and so forth. And so um, even in the 60s, during the civil rights movement, um, there was a call for saying, well, we need to have something that shows um, people of color in a positive light as well, not just as, as, as slaves who are being beaten down by the system. And so a muralist, a man named Dewey Crumpler, um, painted a series of murals in the high school that were called the response murals. And what they did was they showed in the spirit of the 60s the, um, you know, the, um, the spirit and the life force of, of African American people and of Chicano and Latino people, um, and kind of what, um, people were capable of. You know, in some ways they were both celebratory murals, but also, you know, Dewey Quampler wasn't just somebody who thought that we should tell, you know, you know, wonderful stories uh, about people, but they also showed people in the context of the struggle of those times of the civil rights movement as well. Um, so those murals got painted, and they became um, part of what was up on the walls of the of the school as well, too. Mm. But this same argument kind of resurged, had a resurgence in the last few years, where, again, um, there were... Um, students who said, well, you know, we don't want to have to look every day, all the time, at images of us, black people, as just being ground down slaves. You know, this is making us feel really bad about ourselves. And I think that we have to pay some attention to, you know, what young people say and to what these people say and take it seriously and not just kind of of, um, disregard it. Um, but the question is, okay, then what what needs to be done um, in relation to that? So first of all, the fact that young people felt that way, I think, says something about whether or not the school board or previous school boards lived up to their responsibility in terms of explaining and trying to show what these murals were about, both in terms of sort of why they were painted the way they were at the time, who Arnatoff was, but also, you know, the truth that the murals are trying to um, are trying to show. I, you know, I think that there were some teachers at the high school that tried to do that, but I think they kind of did that 
more or less on their own as active conscience, not because there was some big organized effort by the school board to kind of take advantage of the murals and, and to use them in the way that they were intended. So that kind of left students on their own um, feeling that way. But I think also that, you know, we need to recognize that Arnatov himself had his limits and the politics of the 30s had their limits too. Um, I've been reading recently um, a book by uh, historian Gerald Horn that talks about the resistance to slavery by slaves up to and including the Revolutionary War. And he's trying to show, for instance, that um, slaves, generally speaking, um, fought on the side of the British. Right. Not all um, African people in, the, in those colonies were pro-British. There were some that fought in the Revolutionary Army. But most slaves um, tried to get away from those plantations, um, fleeing to Florida, fleeing to Mexico, fleeing to Quebec, wherever they could go to get um, out of slavery, but also that they would rebel, that there were many revolts against slavery that took place before the Revolutionary War. So slaves were not just sort of ground-down people, yeah. as the mural shows them to be, but they were, in a sense, much like the Native people in the mural. They were people who resisted slavery and who fought against it. Um, so if we were to paint a mural today, mm. we might paint it differently from the way Arnatov did. Um, and in fact, I think that that could have been, and it could still be, um, a way for the school board to deal with this, rather than simply painting over the mural, which is, after all, what those people who were offended by the truth of history would have liked to do right. in the 1950s. Um, instead of doing their work for them, um, why not invite students to look into the truth of history themselves, of you know who fought on what side during the Revolutionary War hmm. uh, that George Washington was a, a general in, and to try and and come up with their own works of art or of criticism um, themselves. Interesting and, point. You know, there's wall wall space on the yeah. in the school to put that up, and there are other ways in which um, students can do this, in which they become, you know, actors and yes. and activists and yes. kind of contributors to the movement for social justice, rather than sort of seeing themselves as just simply kind of um, feeling oppressed by these images that they. Um, you know, walk by on their way to and from class every day. Interesting idea. I wonder what what was the. Uh, I, I don't. I, I imagine it's a pretty big high school. What, the students. I I had heard, what have, so many questions about. Uh, what was there agreement among the students about this? Or I imagine there was probably not agreement, and and the various different no. positions. What tell us about some of the uh, feelings of the students. Well, you know, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to speak, you know, on, on behalf of students or to well. sort of represent them. But, um, but the first thing, there, were, there was a committee that was set up to sort of look at this issue. Um, but it was, um, I think it was kind of a rig committee, to be honest, um, that it was set up in such a way that really only people who wanted to get rid of the murals uh-huh. Um, we're going to get a, a sort of a fair hearing there. 
Um, and it was not set up by students. It was set up by the school board. Uh, um, students, I think, are all over the map bet. on this one. There are some students who um, feel that the murals should be painted over. There are other ones who um, don't feel that way. You know, we're not trying to solve this problem by taking a vote of the students, and I'm not sure that that would be really a great idea um, yeah. You know, anyway. But I think it is important to sort of note that students themselves are not um, are certainly not unified in their point of view about what should happen with the murals. But I think that the most important thing here is that um, the school board is not really considering a kind of what we, what I would say would be a constructive way forward. Uh-huh. You know, how to actually use this in a way that is going to educate students and to. Um, sort of turn them into social and, and political activists, which I think uh-huh. is a very strange thing for San Francisco. It's not just that San Francisco's politics are kind of left, which they are, yeah. but the current school board, actually a majority of people on the school board are people of color themselves, uh-huh. and the school board itself, um, you know, over the last 15 years, you know, 15 years ago, we had a very conservative school board in San Francisco, and it's taken a long time to kind of um, change that and to get a school board in place in San Francisco that is more responsive to the community. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is not kind of like a right-wing school board made up of McCarthyites and, and, you know, corporate interests here. That's not who the school board is. Um, But despite that, they are acting as though they were kind of doing this work um, and using the reaction of some students as kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a justification for doing something that I think will have very damaging consequences for the future. So I think in some ways there has to be a process in which the school board sort of reopens this question and hears from people all over our community. You know, there have been artists who have spoken out, a lot of artists who have spoken out about um you know, that that painting over the murals is not a really good way to resolve, you know, this situation here. Um, There are other people in the community that have, you know, a variety of different opinions about it. I think the school board kind of got backed into a corner by this committee that they set up Uh. and made a decision without really um, thinking about what the broader community was going, how it was going to react or what was going to happen here. And now they're kind of like, acting in a very defensive uh, defensive way rather than actually trying to come up with a positive, you know, constructive way of, of resolving this problem. Uh, so many more questions. If you just tuned in, dear listener, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about art, the role of art, and the covering up of a disquieting mural in George Washington High School in San Francisco, about real history of George Washington. Our guest today is David Bacon, a Bay Area writer and social justice photographer, former union organizer, and he's written an article called The Hidden History of the Arnatoff Mural, and that's what we're talking about. I, I wanted, There's a lot of questions, but what is the status right now? Was there some talk about actually destroying the mural like Rockefeller did with uh, Diego R- Rivera's? Were there public meetings, or, or was this decided just by committee? And I can tell you, as a former legislator myself, 
I've seen committees that are supposed to investigate this or that question, and they pretty much, the way they're stacked indicates what the heck the answer is going to be. But what about actual public hearings on this? Well, there have been some public meetings about it. Um, You know, I think things have gotten very polarized um, in San Francisco about this. Um, And I think that the discussion in these public meetings hasn't been that constructive either. It's been kind of people yelling at each other from mm. um, from both sides of it. Um, you know, those people who want to defend the mural, you know, they are sort of being, you know, characterized um, by the media and by the school board as a bunch of old white people, um, which I think is a mischaracterization of who people are, but also kind of like it just kind of shows you how sort of polarized it's gotten here. So, um you know, having public hearings about it, um, I I think it would depend on kind of what the subject of the public hearings uh, was. Uh-huh, you know, San Francisco is not the only place where these controversies have, have mm. taken place. That's for sure. Um, and so I think that we need to look at, you know, the experience of other parts of the country where, you know, there this has happened as well, too, and see kind of what proposals people have made in other areas for moving forward and then maybe we could put some of those proposals on the table Mm. and talk about them in a way that doesn't immediately have people kind of pushed to the extremes of their positions and sort of um yelling at each other yeah um so that i i think that that would be a, a better way of moving forward myself so what is the status of the mural now it is still hanging is it covered up what what is the status well, the murals are, are frescoes. Frescoes, right. So, yeah. They are part of the wall. Right. That's part of the problem here. Uh, you know, um, if it were possible to sort of take the murals down and put them somewhere else, uh, um, that might be a possible solution. But you can't really do that here um, because they are, there's the no wall. way you can do that without destroying them, essentially. And you'd also have to destroy part of the wall. Yeah. Um, so that's, doesn't seem like it's really an option. Um, I think, you know, there, one proposal, obviously, is to paint them over. That's what the school board voted for. Mm. Another one is to put some kind of covering over them, uh, whether it's a curtain or some panels that, you know, the murals would still be there underneath. And also, you know, presumably they could be taken down at certain points and people could look at them. Uh-huh. Um you know, that's another possibility. Another possibility is to sort of paint further murals in response. Yeah. You know, Dewey Crumpler, the guy who painted the response murals in the 60s, has also called for the preservation of the murals. He says, you know, you can't have my response murals without having the original murals there, too. Uh-huh. Um, but that that's another possibility of sort of creating uh, more artwork that would sort of help to make this um, a broader discussion, including not just murals, but you could have, you know, for for instance, in the lobby um, where the murals are, there's a statue of George Washington. I find it interesting, actually, that nobody's called for pulling down the statue of George Washington, which is certainly much more of a symbol of somebody who was a slave owner than the murals themselves are. But um, people have said, well, okay, let's put a education center into the middle of the lobby there that can help to contextualize the mural so that people can sort of understand better in the future kind of what they're all about. 
Um, I personally think that students need to take an active role in this. You know, it's their high school. Yeah. Um, the murals, I don't think, belong just to the high school True. or just to the students. The murals belong to the people of San Francisco and to the even more broadly um, than that. Yeah. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think that, you know, for instance, if we had a vote and the students voted to destroy the murals, that that may, right. would mean, in my opinion, that the murals should be destroyed. But I think that because it is their high school, and they do look sure. at these murals all the time. That you know, students should have some participation. Role in this. Sure. You know, why can't they participate in formulating a response in a way that future generations of students? Because we have to also remember, high schools being what they are, you know, the students who are coming into high school this coming fall are going to be gone in another three or four years, yeah. right? Yeah. And a whole other group of students are going to come along. Yeah. So. Um, part of that, I think that's part of our problem is that, um, you know, we kind of lose the conversation and we lose the history um, because of the turnover of people. And so, you know, what can be done to ensure that future generations of students and teachers in the school um, can also kind of be plugged into the way in which we're going to resolve this controversy, I hope, here, so that we don't just sort of have it all resurgent, a resurgence of it, and go, you know, repeat the whole thing 30 or 40 years from now. I think that, you know, there needs to be something happen that looks towards the future like that. Well, that's one wonderful thing about art, is that it, you know, there's a moment where it gets created, and then it lasts for time. Every, Every viewer for you know perhaps hundreds of years can still get the same or their own artistic uh, aesthetic uh, expression aesthetic moment at the time and it's it's just a, a fabulous thing art is what about the San Francisco Board of Educators what reasons did they give for wanting to destroy the mural and i understand it was unanimous right yeah what were the reasons uh, well one vote against it oh right what were their reasons what did they say publicly why they say that students of color, Native American students and African American students, are traumatized by the mural um, by having to see images of well, they they use the 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 um, the quote unquote dead Indian as an example. You know, the figure of the Native person, right. um, the murdered Native person, standing or, or lying right. at the feet of the settlers who were being urged by Washington to go westwards. Um, and they say, well, you know, that it's common among students um, to say to each other, you know, well, I'll meet you in the lobby by the dead Indian. And that um, both the image itself and the way in which it's being referred to this way um, is humiliating for Native people. Uh, that, you know, they are being presented with an image of themselves that is demeaning and degrading and that they are tired of it. And that the African-American students in the school are also um, being traumatized by having to look at images of people, um, of their people, of African-American people, um, being um, mistreated and being humiliated all the time. And so it's it's an interesting argument because... Um, 
the mural does show these things. Sure. Yes, absolutely. That, that's the point, is that the mural shows these things because they are historically true and because they are an effort to counter kind of the false history as it has been taught in schools in this country for a couple hundred years. So um, the board is saying, well, you know, this the way in which it's being done, the mural here is having a traumatic effect on the people themselves who are the um, subjects here. And, um, you know, I think that if that that what they say, first of all, has some validity and truth to it. Right. Um, and there are students who have spoken out and said that this has been their reaction to it. So I don't think that we can just, you know, say, well, okay, the reaction of, you know, Native American students to, you know, the dead figure of a Native person in the mural is, you know, that we should just sort of like brush it off in, in the interest of some you know, kind of higher political truth. Um, but I think that the question really still that the board has kind of refused to really acknowledge and deal with in a, in a really constructive way is, is that given that this is a problem, then what should happen here? Yes. What, what, what is going to take the feelings of these students and the political problem that the mural is trying to address and find a solution to it that is going to make these students into, um, in my opinion, social actors and not just people who are being kind of like victimized here, but people who are going to act. You know, one of the things that I learned as a union organizer is that the best response to fear and trauma is activity to try and right the social wrong that you're feeling oppressed by. You know, so if you are working in a place where you're being victimized by low wages and by the racism of your boss, the best way of dealing with that is by organizing with other people to force this kind of mistreatment to stop. And that that kind of helps you as a person to deal with the fear and the anger and the hurt and the trauma that you experience because of these problems. And I think that this is also true here with the students, that um, that painting over the mural is not going to get rid of the social problem that is causing the trauma. It is really the social problem of racism yes. that is causing the trauma. And so the mural might be a trigger, as they say. In fact, this is what some of the um, of the people who want to paint the mural over are saying. They said the mural is what they call a trigger. In other words, it is triggering these feelings uh-huh. among students. And so, you know, I think that that um, it's not just the mural that triggers this. It is the fact that we have racism in our society that that causes this sort of trauma to exist yes and so we don't get rid of that by painting over the mural painting Uh, over the mural doesn't change anything what is it that we want to have happen with these students that is going to address the trauma problem that they are trying to explain to us that they feel and i think which 
you know, you can't tell people, well, don't feel what yeah. <laughs> you don't think you're supposed to feel. Right. You know, that, that doesn't work either. Yeah. Facing injustice. I, I'm remembering when the returning uh, military people from a war in Vietnam came home and, you know, protested actively, threw their medals, went to the uh, summer soldier, uh, winter soldier hearings in 1971. That's right. That's right. That was a way of facing it and taking power That's over right. it and, and getting beyond it. That's right. You, you write, right. and this is interesting, I want to discuss... Ron Kovic on 4th of July, born on the 4th of July, right? Oh, yes. You know, here was the guy that lost his legs, yes, right? Yes, exactly. In Vietnam, and he, instead of becoming a, uh, a victim again, a wounded soldier suffering from this terrible things that had happened to him, he became uh, not only a hero of the anti-war movement, they even made a movie about him. Yes, they did. So I think that that's a good lesson for us. It is. Take the power. And you're right. Let's let's set aside the question of the voices calling for the mural's destruction and their authority to speak for the communities they claim as their own. What remains, as you say, is a mistake in the way we react to historical works of art, ignoring their meaning in favor of our feelings about them and the mistake in the way we treat historical works of art, using them as tools for managing feelings rather than as objects of interpretation. What do you mean by that? Well, those are not what my words. Those are the words oh. of a letter oh. that got written um, to the school board, and um, you know, I, I, the purpose of writing the, of the artist who wrote and, and signed the letter was to object to the painting over of the murals, and I think that I object to them also. And um, and part of what they're saying in the letter here is that again. You know the problem of racism is the, is is a problem that exists in the society at large, and um, and you cannot um, get rid of it by simply um, painting over its depiction in a work of art. Yeah. Um, I think the letter, to be honest, I think it makes light of what the students are saying. I think that whoever it was that wrote that letter should have listened harder. Uh-huh. To the students, that, um, because again, um, I for for a, uh, for a Native American student to say that I am feel I am traumatized by an image of a Native person in a mural here. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can just simply say, "Well, no. this is not the correct way of looking at it." <laughs> no. You know, yeah. I think you have to start by by saying, "Okay, I understand what you're saying and what you're feeling here." Um, what do we do about so, it? First of all, let's look at what the work of art is actually showing here, and then let's also talk about what to do about yeah. the feelings that you have, and you know what we what we can do as a community um, to support you as a student, yeah. and also to sort of help see if um, we can't um, make the mural play its play its role. Yes. After all, you know when I talk painted the murals you know the people who are want to paint the mural over um they say well okay we don't really care what the intention of the artist was it's what the actual effect of the of the work is right now on students that counts and okay you know i i grant you that that we have to look at what the actual effect of the mural is and not just simply um write it off or say it's sure that the people who are complaining about it shouldn't be complaining about it um but 
But I think that we do also have to give some credit to Arnatov and who he was and what his intentions were, because Arnatov wanted the mural to cause reactions to ah. people. Perhaps he did not want it to the reaction to be trauma on the part of students of color and of Native students there, although I think that um, it's not true that there were no Native people in San Francisco at the time sure. that he painted the mural. There certainly were African-American people in San Francisco. In fact, the, the general strike two years before the mural was painted resulted in taking down the color line on the docks in San Francisco, mm -hmm. as a result of which we now have the Longshore Union in San Francisco, which is one of the most powerful unions in the United States, which is a majority of whom, whose members are African-Americans. So I think that um, Arnatov, when he painted the murals, you know, he belonged to a communist party that included right. um, black longshoremen, mm -hmm. um, that included Chinese laundry workers and, um, and garment workers. Um, and, it, you know, plenty of records of... of um, people um, from those communities belonging to the Communist Party. So they were all in this together, yes. talking about their politics. So to think that Arnatov really was just sort of painting this mural as a white guy who didn't really care about mm. what the response was or the reaction was among people of color, I don't think that that's no, true. No, that would be wrong. Um, and I see that, that there's... He wanted, the, to, he wanted people to feel that the mural was defending them if they were Native people or African-American people, and if they were, you know, the wealthy families of San Francisco, I think Arnatov would have been very happy with the idea that those people would feel that the mural was attacking them because I think he wanted to do that. Something about uh, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The idea of cutting art education, you know, is, is uh, you know, being superfluous that uh, that art isn't important for education, that, uh, you know, a lot of people just want to, oh, we'll just cut art. I don't think that that is our problem here in San Francisco, really. Um, That's good. You know, the San Francisco um, school district, I think, has resisted budget cuts um, along with other school districts in, in California. Well, maybe so. Um, but and has fought against the idea we used to have, as, as we have in other school districts in California, um, boards of education that favor charter schools, for mm. instance, that think that schools should just be used to train people for jobs, right. that, you know, things like the humanities and arts education aren't important, that we should just test every student to death yeah. and um, rank every teacher according to what the test scores are. Um, that's not the school board that we have in San Francisco. Lucky. They that's do not good. believe that. They believe in, in having humanities education. In fact, I think that's sort of the opening that we have, or one of them, to talk to them is to say, look, how can you say that you want to have humanities education? How can you say that you believe that the arts has this important role to play and then paint over this work of art? <laughs> you know, there's a contradiction here that you that's have to true. come to terms with. Thank goodness for California resisting Trumpism in so many ways. But what, what can people across the country do about this? Anything? I mean, is, is it a fait accompli now, or, or what do you think the future no. is? No, no, I think it's just, this is, this is going to go on for a while. Um, so first of all, people can write to um, the school board and express their opinion. And also, I think the best thing to do also is to talk about what people think a, a constructive solution 
here is. You know, I think it's important to say that we think that the mural should be um, preserved, but I think also we're looking for solutions, especially um, if you live in another part of the country where you've had a controversy like this and you feel like um, this is kind of giving you some ideas about how it should be dealt with. You know, the Board of Education has budgeted um, uh, $600,000 right. painting over the mural, which I think is a completely ridiculous amount of money. I, think I can't so. imagine how much paint you're going to buy for $600,000 really? to paint this mural over with. That figure so did surprise like, me. It's like way overkill here, yeah. way overkill. Um, so, you know, I think that there's plenty of room for people to talk about, well, okay, what are some good ways of responding here that are going to respect, you know, both yes. parts of the debate and that are bankrupt the high school in doing it and um, <laughs> so that we can sort of come out of this um, better. Also, I think, you know, that, that especially if you live in a community where we've had controversies about the statues of, for instance, Confederate yes, soldiers and so yes. forth, that, that this is important, too, because there are people here who are, are sort of equating the two things. You know, we've had these struggles, you know, like the one in South Carolina about taking down the Confederate flag flying in front of the state house. So I think that, there, that we have to be able to show that there is a, that there, it's not only that there's a, a difference between you know, a work of art, a statue of, of the Confederate general that we want torn down and the mural that we don't want painted over because the intention and the purpose of these works of art, we have to look at them. Yes. You know, it's not that, that I think that all works of art are sacred, public monuments to racism and to colonialism. That's true. You know, we have a statue of the pioneers in one um, mm. A public area in San Francisco, which essentially is a celebration uh, of the murder of Native people. Oh, great. You know, I don't have any problem with taking that one down because the purpose of it is to perpetuate this social injustice, not to get rid of it. That's, I think, the interesting question about the statue of George Washington in the lobby of the high right. school. Should it stay or should it go? Really? But it's also interesting to me that in other parts of the country, the argument is over what to do about the monuments to racism in the Confederacy here in San Francisco, where we have this statue of the slave owner because he happens to be the father of our country. We're not arguing about that one. No. We're arguing about the mural that tells the truth about it. But I think that people need to weigh in on that. And if you have something to say about it, you know, you should write to the school board and tell them. You talk, um, Bert, about all these murals and post offices. I think we ought to go into our post offices and look at them and, and oh, absolutely. think about trying to preserve what we have there, because generally speaking, those are very progressive murals. Yes, and a lot of them are gone. Thank you so much. Very, very interesting and illustrative, shall we say, discussion today. Thank you, David Bacon. My pleasure. Take care. Oh!